Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Israel conquered by the Assyrians, as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 23. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. God gives his indictment against them And in verse 23, he concludes, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by his servants the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. 721 B.C., the northern kingdom fell to Assyria. And the king of Assyria had a practice of taking the people, all of them out of the land, and taking them to other places, scattering them, And thus was the the practice of the Assyrians, so subduing their enemies that there is no recovering from it as they repopulate them into other areas where they have no chance of getting together and forming uh, a uh, united kind of a rebellion against what has happened to them. And uh, so thus happened with the nation Israel by Assyria, and they became scattered, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. Now, the Assyrians then took other nations that they had conquered and they brought the people from those other nations and they established them in this strange area to them, the area of Samaria. Totally uprooted them, brought them into an area that they were totally unfamiliar with and they set them in the area of Samaria. And so it was when these other people first began to dwell in the land of Samaria, the land of Israel there, the northern part, that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them and began to destroy the people. And so they came to the king of Assyria and they said, hey, we don't understand the ways of the gods of the land and, and, and lions and wild beasts are killing our people. So send someone to teach us the ways of the gods of the land so that we can live in that land. And so the king got one of the priests and he sent him back unto Uh, Samaria, and the priest taught them the ways of the Lord. And then there's a very interesting scripture. So it said, and they feared the Lord, but served their own gods. Oh, what a picture of so many people today. They respect the Lord. They acknowledge the Lord. They give obeisance to the Lord. But they serve their own gods. They may even sing praises unto the Lord. They may listen to records about the Lord. They acknowledge the Lord, that He exists. But when it comes down to their life and their lifestyles, they're actually serving other gods. Now, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other or hold to the one and despise the other, and you cannot serve God and Mammon, which was, of course, another god of those days, the god of power, represented by money. How many people today reverence, fear the Lord, but yet they serve other gods? It's like Bob Dylan saying, you've got to serve somebody. And it isn't the one that you really are reverencing so much as as the one that you're actually serving that really counts. Who are you serving? Are you serving the gods of your own creation? Your own lust? Your own desires? 
Or are you serving the true and the living God, obedient unto his word and to his commands? And so a, a real paradox here. Fear the Lord, serve their own God. In chapter 18, we now move back to the southern kingdom of Judah. Inasmuch as the northern kingdom has now been destroyed from the rest of 2 Kings on, we'll be dealing actually with now the southern kingdom of Judah, which still remains. And as we, re as we move south, we find that Hezekiah is coming to reign over Judah. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to the Lord, and all that David his father did. And thus he removed the high places. He broke the images. He cut down the groves. He broke in pieces the brass serpent that Moses had made. For in those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. So as he took over as king, the first thing he did was to start removing the false idols and gods and worship centers that the people had created in Judah, destroying them, getting rid of them in order that he might turn the people back to the true worship of the true and living God. And one of the interesting things, one of the things that the people had made an idol out of and were burning incense to was this brass serpent that Moses had made in the wilderness. You remember when the children of Israel had murmured against the Lord, the Lord sent serpents into the land. And the serpents began to bite the people, and they began to die from the result of the bites of these serpents. And Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord told him to make a brass serpent and to put it on the pole in the midst of the camp. And whoever was bitten by the serpent, if he would look on the brass serpent, he would be healed of the bite and live. Now Jesus uses that as a remarkable illustration to answer the question of an earnest Jewish leader who said to him, how can I be born again when I am old? Can I return the second time to my mother's womb? And Jesus, in answering the question, how can I be born again, said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus made reference to this brazen serpent in the wilderness, that it was going to be sort of like him, actually. Even as Moses raised up the serpent. Now, of course, Brass is always a symbol of God's judgment, and the serpent was a symbol for sin. The people sinned against the Lord in murmuring against the Lord. So the brass serpent there on the pole in the wilderness was a symbol that their sin had been judged. And if they would just look at the provision that God made, the brass serpent on the pole and believe in that provision, they would be healed of the bites of the serpents and live. Even so, Jesus Christ on the cross is a symbol of God's judgment against our sins. And if we'll just but look to Jesus Christ, the crucified Lord, we will be forgiven our sins and we will live. 
So I'm born again by believing on Christ, the fact that he bore my sins upon the cross. But the people had taken now this brass serpent, and they made a little shrine and an altar, and they had begun to worship it and burn incense to it. Now, whenever a man sets up an idol and begins to worship an idol, it tells us a couple of things about that man. Number one, it tells us that he has lost the consciousness of the presence of God. Whenever I have to have an idol, a worship center, that means I have lost the consciousness of God's presence. And I need something to remind me of God's presence. That's a sign of spiritual dullness. Paul the Apostle said, I know that you men of Athens are very religious people. I've seen all of your gods that you have through town and all of the altars that you have built. And I saw this one altar. I was interested in it because it had the inscription to the unknown God. He said, that's the God I want to talk to you about. For he is the God who made the heaven and the earth and everything that is in them. And in him we live, we move, we have our being. Paul didn't need any idols. He was so conscious of God's presence that he realized that he was totally surrounded by God. I live in him. I move in him. I have my being in him. I cannot escape him. He surrounds me all the time. That kind of consciousness, you don't need a reminder. You don't need some little idol, some little trinket to remind you of his presence. Man is so prone to want something to worship, something I can see, some object. And it is a sign that he has lost the consciousness, something vital in his relationship with God, the consciousness of God's presence. But the second thing that an idol tells us is that somehow that man is longing to regain that which he lost. I want to be conscious of God's presence, and so I need this as a reminder because I'm longing for something that I have lost, the consciousness and the awareness of God. And so the children of Israel have made an idol out of this brass serpent. They have made it an object of worship. They were burning incense to it. Again, that folly of worshiping and serving the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. Hezekiah, when he came into the throne and as he's a king, as he began to destroy all of the false worship sinners, he took this brass serpent and he broke the thing in pieces and he said, Nehushtan. Now the word Nehushtan means a thing of brass. It's no God. It's a thing of brass. Oh, how we get attached to things. Oh, I always like to sit in that particular portion of the church because there one night I felt the presence of God. <laughs> Don't ever remove that pew, you know. And I'm only uh, letting you know that the first of the month the pews are to be removed. We'll sell it to you if you want it. But it's Nehushtan. <laughs> It's a thing of wood and cloth. It's not a God. It's a thing of brass. It's no God. No hushtan. Thing of brass. 
It is interesting, if you go to St. Ambrose Cathedral in Milan, Italy today, you'll find in a beautiful case what they claim to be the glued-together portions of that brass serpent. That's right. And again, prayers are being offered before it. But it's Nehushtan, a thing of brass. It's important that we recognize these things for what we are, that we don't put some kind of a magical, you know, spiritual aura around the things. Oh, you know, that's the place. That's the pulpit. That's the spot. So Hezekiah initiated a tremendous religious reform, and he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none among all of the kings of Judah that were like him. For he clave to the Lord, he stuck with the Lord, and departed not from following him, but he kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. You know, they, and we get into Second Chronicles when Asa had come back from his victory over the uh, huge force of the Ethiopians. The prophet met him and said, The Lord is with you while you'll be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, Hezekiah was committed to the Lord. He obeyed the commandments of the Lord. He clave unto the Lord. And thus the Lord was with him, the inevitable consequence of commitment to the Lord. Not only was the Lord with him, but the Lord prospered him wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Now the king of Assyria had come down to the area of the Philistines and he had actually smitten the city of Gaza and all of the little intermediary cities around there. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah that Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it, which was the sixth year of Hezekiah. And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel, as we've already covered, into the captivity because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. And in the 14th year of Hezekiah, this Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, came against the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah the king sent to the king of Assyria and saying, I have offended, return from me, that which you put on me I will bear. In other words, he, he was offering to surrender unto Shennacherib. And so he laid upon Hezekiah a tribute of 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him the silver that was there in the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house. And at that time he cut the gold from the doors of the temple and from the pillars which uh, had been overlaid. He gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria then sent a couple of fellows, emissaries, Tartan, Rabseris, and Rabshakeh to the king Hezekiah, and they came with, with threats from the king of Assyria. They came to the wall, and Hezekiah's prime minister went out, and, and these guys began to call up unto them. And he said, 
they said to the Reb Shekha said unto them, Speak unto Hezekiah and say to him, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence wherein you're trusting? You say, but they are vain words, I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you trust that you're rebelling against me? Now behold, you're trusting upon the staff of the bruised reed, upon Egypt, which if even a man will lean upon it in his hand, it will pierce his hand. So Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all of those who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in Jehovah our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said unto Judah and Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now that shows how, of course, little the people understood Jehovah God. He thought that all these high places and altars that were actually pagan altars that were built throughout the land were built unto Jehovah. How much people outside really misunderstand often our devotion of Jesus Christ, our worship of him. And, and this guy is saying, you know, you say you trust in Jehovah, but Hezekiah tore down all of his altars and all and said you should worship only at this altar in Jerusalem. Wrong. He did not tear down the altars of Jehovah, but only the false pagan altars that were there in the land. Now he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Pay us some money and we'll give you 2,000 horses and see if you can find enough riders to put on them and we'll send the weakest captain that we have and he'll wipe you out. I mean, you know, he's really boasting and, and really threatening these people. And he said, tell you what, I'm come up against this place to destroy it because Jehovah told me to come. And so the guy is there blaspheming God and threatening the people. And these two guys on the wall said, hey, fellas, don't talk to us in Hebrew. We understand the Assyrian language. Talk to us in Assyrian language and we will relay the message to Hezekiah. And old Rabshakeh said, No, the king didn't send me to talk to the king, but to these men who sit on the wall. And he continued to talk in Hebrew now, threatening all these guys that were sitting up there on the wall in their Hebrew tongue and saying, Hey, don't listen to Hezekiah. He tells you the Lord's going to help you. Don't believe it. You think that God can deliver you out of our hands? Where are the gods? You know, all of these nations, we've conquered all them. Their gods were no value to them, and your God will be no value to you. And really began to threaten the people there and, that were on the wall. And yet the people did not answer them because Hezekiah the king had commanded, don't answer them anything. So... Hezekiah sent a message to Isaiah the prophet. Now, at this point in the Kings, it would be well if you want a good side assignment to read the book of Isaiah in conjunction with these few chapters because Isaiah was an influential prophet at the time that Hezekiah was king. And thus, to really put it together... You need now to really get background on this period of history by reading Isaiah. And you'll understand better the prophecies of Isaiah with this particular background, realizing that Hezekiah was a good king and uh, he was reigning at the time that Isaiah was a prophet. And Isaiah had a great influence and Isaiah was really the prophet to whom Hezekiah sought for advice. 
So it came to pass when Hezekiah heard the words and the threats and the blasphemy that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the house of the Lord. And Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shibna the scribe, and the elders and the priests, they covered themselves with sackcloth, and they came to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This is the day of trouble, of rebuke, of blasphemy. For the children are come to birth, there isn't enough strength for them to be delivered. It may be that the Lord thy God will hear all the words that Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. And so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord. Don't be afraid of the words which you have heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him. He'll hear a rumor. He'll return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And so Shalmaneser heard some rumors that uh, the king of Ethiopia was coming out to fight. continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 17 through 19 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. God be with you and God bless you as you fellowship together with him. May you experience more and more the glory of God upon your life. I'm convinced that God once again is wanting to reveal his glory to his people. And may he minister to us this week of his love and of his grace. And may you thus be strengthened and blessed in your walk with him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.